0: What would you say if I could give you a chance to be mentored by the world's leading international thought leaders, authors, speakers and change makers? Well, from the 25th to the 31st of August, we are launching our free seven-day online summit with 21 very inspirational human beings that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, cognitive psychology, spiritual psychology, evolutionary biology, genetics, medicine, and philosophy to help the audience understand how their unconscious habits and thought patterns affect their ability to build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. To find out more, go to katherineplano.com forward slash summit. But wait, there is more. We have a super exciting announcement our first Australian tour for Be Undeniably Awesome, which is also happening in August, where I will be sharing with you 12 powerful tools to rocket fuel your transformation. As you know, we are on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Sometimes there is no next time and no second chances. Sometimes it's now or never. So what are you waiting for? Don't give it another thought. Take action today and go to katherineplano.com forward slash tool. All links will be found in the show notes for dates and location. This week we have a super amazing guest for you, Amy E. Smith, Amy is a certified and credentialed confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert, owner and founder of Joy Junkie Enterprises. Amy uses her role as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals beyond limiting beliefs and sabotaging mindsets to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, Amy uses her popular weekly podcast, The Joy Junkie Show, to address issues of worthiness, self-confidence, and letting go of people-pleasing to assist listeners in creating and living radically joyful lives. Co founder of the Self Love Revolution, Amy has been instrumental in aiding hundreds of women in stepping into the authentic power and craft lives they desire. She is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been a feature expert on Fox 5, San Diego, and Your Tango. It's now time to tune into this very inspirational human being enjoy well this morning and it could be evening depends on where you are in the world i am super excited we've got amy S. smith from the joy junkie and the reason i'm very excited i've actually had the honor to speak to amy once before so welcome to i am woman project Oh, I'm so excited to connect with you. I am too. Fun. Oh, I know it was it was fun last time. Last time, and we are going to have super fun. So we always start with a, a story. So, Amy, what's your unique story? And tell us how you got to where you are today.
1: Wow, you know, I think probably one of the most formative experiences that I've had. It, that has really shaped the work that I'm doing in the world now has to do with the the kind of the tragedy of losing my father in 07. So to give you, to give you a little bit of a context, I grew up in an extremely conservative, uh, born again, Christian family, and there was lots of religious dogma, lots of guilt and fear and you know even now as I kind of look back there's there's elements that felt very cult-like. So I needless to say I've done a lot of work around my spirituality. And so at the time that my dad passed, I was starting to get involved with personal development and I was coming out of a career as a makeup artist and kind of making that that transition. And so I knew that when he passed away, that I for sure was going to be doing makeup for his viewing, for his service, which yes, that means I was doing makeup on my dead dad. <laughs> so it was quite the intimate and really quite beautiful uh, connection and kind of a cathartic way to say goodbye. And, but needless to say, I was in the throes of grief and it was a fairly intense, intense time. And I also chose to speak at the service. And there was you know, hundreds of people there. My father had made a, a pretty incredible mark on in the world. And so I felt that I had kind of checked off all of the, the good daughter boxes. <laughs> and all the while still trying to process kind of my own agony and grief at the same time. So another little bit of backstory, too, is that I am the oldest of three kids. I have two younger brothers who both have done some jail time throughout their life, and so if you were to take the snapshot of the three children, I would definitely be the, quote, good kid, right? And I felt like that was not really acknowledged much uh, with with my, parents, my mom in particular, just because she was so devout, and it kind of didn't matter how awesome of a child you were if you weren't uh, kind of subscribing to the ideologies of the faith and things like that, then you just, it, it was like a wash. So that day of the service, I get home to my mom's house and, you know, I meanwhile, I've done makeup on my father's corpse. I've spoken to this crowd. I've been dealing with people who believe in something very different than myself all day long. And she finds that the most opportune time to share with me that she feels as though her father or, you know, my father and her had uh, failed at being parents, failed because of how all of us had turned out and that we weren't, quote, walking with the Lord. And in that moment, I kind of was like, fuck, okay. (laughs) You know, I just didn't know. The only thing I could kind of muster was, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. (laughs) And she kind of said, well, that's just how I feel. And I realized kind of in that moment that there were going to be instances in my world, there were going to be people who I was very close with and intimately involved with who I might have to choose me over them, right? Like if it became an ultimatum, I kind of looked at it and went, gosh, if it comes down to, I either choose you or I choose me, I choose me. And what was really fascinating about that particular time period is up until that point, I had really prepped my husband a lot about here's what you can and can't say around my parents, we really twisted and kind of contorted in order to be a little more palatable to them. I mean, they knew a handful of things, but we tried to to kind of have a, a shroud of secrecy a little bit. So that was sort of the cracking open of like, I can't keep pretending that I am a different human. I cannot keep silencing myself, thinking that certain things are okay And the interesting trajectory that followed after that was I became extremely combative with my mom, very adversarial. I wanted to fight. I wanted to bring up all of the polarizing topics, whether they be religious or political. And it wasn't until I had quite a few blow ups with her and I had to kind of clean up my mess that I realized like, wow, I wonder if there's a way to speak up for myself or to be vocal or to talk about things that that we have polarized views about and actually do it with kindness and grace. And that shift in understanding that you can be assertive and loving and kind and compassionate, that you don't have to be a dick in order to speak up for yourself became sort of this massive piece of my work, which is what I do now. And it's, it's sort of twofold. It's, you know, I work with people to figure out the internal piece of actually just believing that you're enough, believing in your own intrinsic value, enough to think my voice matters, right? Like that's an inside job. And then the external factor of what does that sound like? Like, what does it really sound like to establish a boundary? Or to tell your in-laws to to stop butting in with your parenting styles or to have a conversation with a colleague about something that feels wildly unfair in your business arrangement. What does that actually sound like? And how can you have those really tough conversations or boundaries or saying no and do it in a way where you feel proud and you're not racked with guilt? So that pivotal chapter in my life framed up a lot of what I'm doing now in in encouraging people to, to be vocal, but to do so with grace and kindness.
0: Wow. So Amy, I (laughs) do have a couple of questions. I'm listening to a story and really moved by your story, by the way, I have no idea what that would feel like, or even the experience of, what you had to go through with your father, and I think it's like you said, it's it's absolutely beautiful. It took me back to a time where I actually went to one of my best friends' funeral, and uh, they had a viewing of the body, and it was an interesting experiencing experience for me because I'd never experienced that before. But as you were talking through it, it actually brought that memory back up, which was interesting enough. I haven't thought about that for many years, but um yeah, very interesting that you shared that with us. And I'm curious as do you think that the whole cuz we look at your imprinting phase so your development phase do you think a lot of who you are today has got to do with what you experienced as a young child
1: oh my gosh absolutely i mean without a shadow of a doubt uh, In in fact what's what's fascinating when i think about this i uh, there were so many things my parents got right like they really really were just overwhelming with their love. I mean, I never questioned if they had my back. Really a lot of the issue that I have is around there's around the dogma and the religion, which you know, I still can look back with a lot of compassion and it, because they really were following what they believed was was the absolute best thing for us. And you know, for many years I had a lot of anger and resentment because of that and felt a lot like, why was I born into this family? My both my parents and my younger brothers love sports. My mom's not, you know, super girly at all. And here I am just this overtly by bi- I, I don't even want to say girly or feminine because that's changing so much now. But, you know, the stereotypical uh girly girl. You know, and really wanted to, you know, do my nails. And I loved all of aesthetics, which led me into makeup artistry. But for so long, I was like, how the hell did I get born into this family? Like, no one else wants to get their nails done. No, nope. <laughs> you know, everyone just wants to place or watch sports. And so for a long time, I thought, like, what the hell? Like, what the hell? And then as these sorts of things started to uncover uh, in sort of my my life's work and my purpose, I kind of went, Oh, no wonder I had to go through that. No wonder I had to have an upbringing like that so that I learned what it meant to really be vocal and to speak up for yourself and do it in a really loving way. I mean, so much so that like I um, my mom is free to pray, you know, when she's around me, that's totally fine. But I choose to abstain. You know, there's certain things that I really just put a very firm line around, uh, that has, has kind of been the evolution of speaking up about this stuff. But absolutely, that was a huge piece mm, and I'm grateful. I,
0: yeah. Cause I look at how you were saying before, I choose, uh, you choose yourself over them, and I think, wow, that's where did that confidence come from at a very, very young age? And obviously, there's, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's something that probably occurred in your imprinting phase because it, you do have a lot of courage, you know, even a courage to speak up, which I find yeah. is lacking mostly
1: in women. What are your thoughts around that? Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, I I think that there's, you know, so I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of what, what was useful to me is my parents never, never shamed me for being vocal for speaking out. In fact, my mom would always say, well, you never have to wonder what Amy's thinking, you know, but even that sort of a comment, I, it was, it was almost like, um, a badge of honor. Like they weren't negative about it. They were just very strong, had a lot of strong opinions about right and wrong and, and things like that. But I, I got into a lot of trouble because I was sort of that kid, you know, um, in high school, we weren't allowed to wear ripped jeans, uh, cause I went to a Christian school. And so I would duct tape my jeans and, and I would ask the administration, like, do you think I look more like a Christian now? Do you think, do you think God's on board now that i my jeans are taped up? You know, like just, I really wanted to push the boundaries of, uh, all of the rules and the restrictions and such. I think by and large, I had a very different situation because my parents, especially my father was very into emotions and fostered me feeling what I felt Never, they never made me wrong for feeling my emotions, for being extremely hyperbolic and dramatic. In fact, they applauded it, and they always said, "You need to go into drama. You need to go into drama." But I think a majority of girls, majority of households, we the 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 common theme is don't rock the boat, uh, sweep it under the rug. You don't want to open up a can of worms, right? Like we've all heard these phrases that basically mean shut the fuck up. And I think it's incredibly pervasive with women, more so with men. And the other narrative that happens, and I'm sure you see this a lot too, Catherine, is the idea that if I want to be successful in business, I must be uh, forthright and have no emotion and that's how you get ahead is by being man like whatever that means. Right. And that notion I think is, is what we're kind of, uh, bumping up against now where we're going, it actually, that whole idea of nurturing only the masculine side of ourselves and not the feminine is leading to some massive destruction in our world, largely here in the States. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, the disproportionate violence from men versus anyway, I could get, I could go on and on and on, but yes, to answer your question, I think it's horrible. And it's, it's something that's, that really does start with parenting and modeling. Um, but the good news is I think we are starting to shift out of that and we're starting to notice that emotional intelligence is important for girls and boys. Um, and I think, I think things are, are switching, uh, slowly slowly but they but they are so when you say switching in what way I'm just curious well I think that there is uh largely with not as much the millennials but with the z generation the generation that's younger than them because they have such an unbelievable resource and access with growing up in sort of an app generation where there's an app for everything they seem, what I'm noticing is a lot more emotional intelligence and, you know, even what we're seeing here in the States with uh, a lot of youth getting behind political movements. We haven't seen that in a few decades. And, you know, there's just a lot more uh, inclusivity around understanding bullying in high school, understanding Um, emotions. And so things like that, that I think we're starting to question even the whole conversation that a lot of teenagers are having now around consent. That's not something that would have ever happened in high school with me. I mean, you know, around asking for consent before you kiss somebody or just, you know, that sort of a thing. It really inspires me. And I think, okay, they're starting this younger generation is really starting to, to unlock some stuff, I think. It's, it's
0: almost like, you know how they say the fashion always goes in circles, you know, it always comes back and it's almost that it's the attributes. It's, it's almost something like the 1940s, you know, how the women used to dress so nicely and everyone was, so you have to ask for permission. And it's, it's, as you were saying, I was like, it's almost like we've come full circle in our attributes, in the way that we behave and conduct ourselves, uh, amongst one another.
1: Yeah. Yes. Mm.
0: So the other thing is, I know, I'd love to unpack the, uh, because I know you're really good at standing up for yourself and speaking up for yourself. And I know that's one that um, a lot of people, including myself, sometimes struggle with to really stand in my truth because I'm a people pleaser or I don't want to upset or like you said, rock the boat. Uh, So how Mm -hmm. does one start with speaking up for themselves? What are some of the tips that you could share for our listeners?
1: That's a great question. I I would say the first place to look is the areas where you chronically complain. (laughs) It's likely that the things that you kind of bitch and moan about that you don't take action on those are usually the key players in your world that you need to be vocal with. So an example, if you're furious at your boss or you hate how you've been micromanaged or you have a business partnership that's not going well and you don't talk to that person about it, but your best friend or your spouse gets an earful. And so they know all the ins and outs of how you feel, how upset you are but the actual person who could do something about it has no idea. And and then what happens when we don't speak up and we start developing a story about who that person is, we start gathering evidence to support that story. So let's say, you know, I'm having an issue with a a business colleague and all I do is bitch about it to my husband and then I don't talk to that business colleague about it. But then he or she says something or does something and I go, see, she's this. She's always controlling. She's always in. I start building evidence to support that story instead of just getting to the root of it from the get go. But a lot of times, if I say to somebody like, you need to start speaking up or you need to start establishing boundaries, we go, well, okay, great. But how and where? So the first place is to look at where do I chronically complain about something or someone who I am not willing to have a conversation with or haven't told them how I really feel. That's usually the first, first place to look. And then what I would suggest doing is, getting really clear on what it is that that you want rectified or what it is that you want to share. A lot of times I call this gearing up where you pretty much get out on paper, these are the things that I'd really like to share with this person. And it depends on if it's a boundary or if it's a request or if it's, you know, just a straight up tough conversation with a spouse or a loved one. So it really depends on the nature of like what I would suggest going forward, but the first step is definitely to identify where do you complain all the time <laughs> and don't do anything about.
0: Well, I love that! I'm I'm actually uh, fireworks are going off in my little head right now because I'm I'm looking at one in spe- specifically that I can relate to. So, okay, so first we we acknowledge wherever we you know, whatever our focus is, where we complain the most is the, that's where we need to lean into and start speaking yeah. up, okay, and creating boundaries. How do we do that? Because that's the missing piece, I think, for most of us is how do we actually do that? So we've identified it, now yeah. what do we do?
1: Well, so I I have a lot of kind of nuance in if it's a tough conversation, a boundary, et cetera so let's just take boundary because I think this one is something that everybody can re- can really relate to so the way I sort of define a boundary is essentially some kind of behavior or incident that you're no longer going to accept or tolerate. It's just something that's not going to be permissible for you going forward so there, I believe that there are three major pieces to establishing a boundary. The first is you have to decide on the exact boundary and what it is. The second piece is you have to deliver it. And the third piece is you have to enforce it. So if we break those down, um, let me, let's see, do you have like a fictitious situation you want to throw in the mix of like, here's the boundary I needed to establish in the past or I can make. Oh I, 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 no, no,
0: no! I do. I, there's this one particular person I'm thinking of where, um, you know, those people they say they're going to do everything and they do nothing. So it's it's almost like, um, you know, and I'm getting frustrated because it's that k- kind of thing that I do. I just trust everybody because why wouldn't I, right? And but it's it's it's. But then I find myself complaining. Hang on, this isn't getting done, and that's not getting done, and that's not getting done. Um. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's it's a matter of. A, I probably haven't had the conversation and B, I don't have boundaries around this person.
1: Got it. Okay, perfect. So there are certain things that need to be followed through on that are not getting followed through on and you need to either say this needs to happen or we need to part ways kind of thing. That's right. Is that what I'm hearing? That's it. Yep. Perfect. Okay. So the first thing that I, I suggest, and then I'll take you kind of through the decide, deliver, enforce. The first thing is that I, I always request the time to talk. So instead of going to somebody and just saying, we need to talk or I, I you know, we need to have a discussion. It, it's usually happens in, in romantic partnerships where we're that kind of demonstrative. We need to talk. And it can be really alarming for people. So if you can say something like, hey, uh, there's some stuff I'd really love to run by you. Do you have time next week? Or do you have uh, maybe 30 minutes later on today? Or um, I'd love to get your thoughts. I'd love to get your opinions. Something I'd love to run by you. Something like that. So it's a little more disarming. And then I would start uh, by owning your shit, owning your piece of the matter and so your piece in the matter is just that you simply haven't said anything, right? Yeah, and you you might not have expressed how much this bothers you or how mandatory it is that these things get done on time or that they're completed to, you know a specific standard or whatnot. So if you can start off by just owning how you how you've been feeling and how it's super unfair, that this person probably has no idea. And so I would start off by saying something like, Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I wanted to kind of run a couple of things by you. And I realized that there there's been a couple of things where there's been some balls that have gotten dropped or things that haven't been followed through on. And I have had such a feeling about it and such a response and I can feel myself kind of being resentful or upset. And I just realized how unbelievably unfair that is to you, that you, I need to at least give you the opportunity to be what I need. And the only way that's going to happen is if I'm really clear with you about my expectations or whatever, however you want to say. So first, I just want to say, I'm sorry that it's taken me this long to be vocal about it. And I genuinely want to hear your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be sort of the, the entryway. It also depends on if we're talking about like a best friend, a sibling, or if we're talking about somebody who's a part of your team, it depends on if there's like a disciplinary level, you know what I'm saying to your relationship versus something like a spouse. Um, but as far as the deciding, delivering and enforcing, You might decide that, okay, here's the boundary that I'm willing to establish. I need, I'm just going to make shit up. (laughs) Uh, I need to have the, the things that are supposed to be taken care of on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I need to see that pretty much be flawless for a three week period you know, like really quantifiable, like the things that are supposed to be checked off the list. I need, you know, this is what I'm asking for getting really clear about the parameters of the boundary. Cause for instance, if you go to this person and just say, I need you to follow through more, they're like, okay. Right. Like, they're like, what does that mean? So you really have to quantify and qualify it with specifics and say, here is what I'm specifically asking for. then, and that's what you kind of do. You decide on the decision when you're gearing up, when you're preparing. So what is it? And this might be attached. Like, here's the parameters of what I'm asking. And there might be an ultimatum attached. I don't know. Uh, usually that doesn't have to come into play until the boundary has been breached a handful of times. Um, but it could be something that you just want to think about. Like if this boundary doesn't get adhered to, What am I willing to do as far as a repercussion, right? And it could just be a mental understanding that you have internally. So you've decided on the boundary. Now it's delivering it. So delivering it would be really similar to what I just mentioned and kind of went through. Asking for the time to talk and then starting off by saying, hey, I really owe it to you to be honest about what I'm thinking and feeling about our relationship or the dynamics therein. So you deliver it. And so what what I usually say is keep everything as honest and as truthful as possible. Do not lie. Don't make shit up. Don't say, you know, that you've got to run if you really don't have to run. You know, you don't have to go. Uh, Don't say it's not that big of a deal if it really is a big a deal. So you say exactly what you need to say, but you do it with grace and kindness. You do it with the utmost grace and kindness. So that's your delivery. And then another little caveat there is I would always try to find a time. This is why I think it's important to ask for the time to talk. If you can find a time where both of you are in a good emotional place. So, you know, a lot of times I'll say if it's a spouse coming home, and they've just had a really horrendous day at work, or they just had a fight with their boss or a friend or something like that, it's probably not the time to have a real intimate conversation. Same is true for business partners or anybody else. If they are in a heightened emotional state where they can't connect with you, it's best to table it and say, let's come back. Let's come back to this. No, I really want us supposed to kind of have our head in the game clearly, you know, uh, you need to unwind and that really matters. That's, that's super important. So go take take some time out, chill out and we'll, we'll reconvene tomorrow or whatever. And so finally the, the last step is the enforcement. And Catherine, I have to say, I think this is probably the hardest part because let's say you go and deliver this boundary to this, this person and you have this tough conversation and you've got a great understanding with them. You've got a game plan feel respected. And then they breach the boundary. So this is where you have to internally decide how many chances do they get? How many chances, how many times am I willing to restate the boundary? And so you might in your head go, okay, I've got, I'll give her three chances or I'll give him two chances or whatever it's going to be. So enforcing means reiterating. So you have to go back and say, Hey, remember that, that conversation we had last week, I noticed that that this didn't get handled or this fell through the cracks again. And I have to say again, this is really imperative. So I'd hate to do like a three strikes situation, but that might be where we're headed. So what's going on with you? How can I support you better? How can I be amazing for you? Whatever. And having an actual collaborative conversation. If it warrants once, sometimes it doesn't warrant collaboration. It's like, you need to stay out of my business, case closed, right? And sometimes it's done. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so that's sort of the, the process. Mm. It's, um, decide, deliver and force.
0: I love that. And I think it's it's all about planning it, right? So you've got to sit down and really plan it. And I think also, as what I'm hearing as well, is that, you know, people can tell you that, you know, give you the lip service, they can tell you about all these things they can do. It's about, like you said, delivering it. But I think it's for me, it's like, I just trust them. And then I get frustrated when it doesn't get done. And I think it's I've got to be more like, show me. Uh, what you're capable Mm -hmm. of, and then I'll believe in you kind of thing. So, you know, over the next three weeks, let's work through this. So get to specifics.
1: Mm, Yes. I love that. I mean, you hear about it in marriages where people are like, I want more romance. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I want you to plan a date night every week? Or does that mean sex, initiate sex more? So you've got to be really, really specific about your request.
0: Mm, so true. Absolutely. So Amy, what, what advice would you give someone if they wanted to embark on a new life or career? Because we do have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show. What would be one of your pieces of advice for them?
1: Oh, gosh, I've got, I've got so many. I think... I think for me, one of the biggest elements that changed everything as I approached my business was a real marriage between passion and strategy. When I first started, I was pretty much 99% passion. I was so excited. I wanted to just change the world. I was a heart-centered entrepreneur, as they like to say, and I just wanted to see all this change happen. And I had zero strategy. I did not invest in any type of mentorship in the beginning, largely because I was a hundred percent self-funded and had to keep the lights on. So there was, there was either, you know, either you eat or you don't kind of thing. And so I figured out that if I wanted a fancy website or if I wanted certain things, I was going to have to learn how to do it myself. So my beginning piece of, I I would say the good, a good first five, six years, I didn't have a really good solid foundation even behind my business or my vision, or here's the strategy, here's how people come into the system. Here's, you know, I had none of that. I was just like, oh, maybe I'll try selling a course. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll start a podcast. Maybe I'll do this, you know? And there was really no strategy. So I, I actually have a colleague of mine. Her name is Lisa Stedman, and she's amazing. And she has a quote around dream plus do. And so she's like, have the dream, have the passion, but you also have to do the work. You have to have the strategy. So for me, that was huge. And then there's a lot of people who have a shit ton of strategy. But they're not doing the things that they really, really want to do, right? They think, oh, it's more lucrative to work with this grouping of people. Like, it's more lucrative to work with lawyers, but what I'm really passionate about is moms or like single moms, something like that. You have to follow where that passion is and find a strategy that will actually support making that passion lucrative. That's what I would say that would have changed everything for me starting out. So, because I know there's lots of businesses and entrepreneurs
0: sometimes, you know, when I speak to them, they haven't even put a strategy together or like a business plan, like you said, you, you okay. explained before, um, but then they find themselves two years, three years down the track, they're still stuck. So you're saying for those entrepreneurs and business owners out there to really mm-hmm. have a strategy first before you dive into your business?
1: I would say, it, it, and when I say strategy, I mean like a very definitive model. A business model, like here's how I get clients or here's how I get students. They come through this medium. Here's how I make this money. Here's my revenue goal. You know, I I didn't even have a marketing calendar. I didn't have like, oh, quarter one, I want to make this much money. Nothing like that. I couldn't tell you my customer avatar, like who my ideal person was. I was just like, everybody. <laughs> and so I would suggest that if you are at the beginning or even, you know, I did this like five or six years in, I went and hired a mentor. Then and I went back to the basics. I went back to ground zero. I looked at over the last five years, six years, what do I love talking about? and what do I love coaching on, and what am I really skilled at, and then also looking at what do people come to me for, so I was able to kind of look back through years of kind of throwing things at the wall to see what stuck, and I kind of went, okay, here's what I, here's what's going on, and that's really when I shifted into a lot of this stuff around finding your voice, boundaries, saying no, tough conversations, communication, essentially. So that's when that really shifted for me. So if you are two, three years in, find somebody that helps you figure out a, a model for your business or you know, uh, a specific plan to put in place that is in alignment with how you operate. I think you know, there's plenty of teachers out there. I think it's just about finding the one that you resonate with. And it kind of speaks your language. So yeah, I would say get get somebody who's like, here's how you build a business model, here's how we figure this out, kind of from the from the get go.
0: Yeah. And I love that because obviously by doing that, you really honed in and defined your message.
1: Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah.
0: So, Amy, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration about pain points. I believe that everyone has pain points. You've been very successful at what you do. Do you ever experience pain points? And if you do, what is your way or ways to, uh, you know, smash them out of the park kind of thing or walk through them?
1: Oh, goodness. Yeah. Well, of course the answer is yes, I do. <laughs> That's the definite answer is yes, I have pain points for sure. And, and I think for many of us, they ebb and flow throughout our life. Uh, I used to have extreme negative self-talk around my physicality and my, my image. Um, I was extremely acneic in high school and just was ashamed of my skin. And then as I got older, I had a lot more anxiety in relationships. Um, And now I think the biggest pain point is around when other people have succeeded at something that I desire. So when somebody has a book launch and I am working on my book right now, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want that. I really desire that. And I think the way in which I I kind of walk through those waters now is I remember that that success has nothing to do with me because usually what's happening in our subconscious mind when we see somebody else, you know, having the business that we want or getting the media exposure that we would want or getting the collaborations or whatever it is. The thing that happens in our mind is like us versus them. If she has it or if he attains it, that must mean I can't. Or if they attain it, that must mean I'm an asshole or I'm not worthy, not valuable. So we collapse these two things together that actually have no relevance to one another. Just because somebody writes a book does not mean I cannot write one, right? It has nothing to do with it. So that is the one kind of statement that I'll use over and over again Whenever I'm triggered around that particular pain point, which tends to be more prevalent now in my world than than any other major, major pain points. Um, but yeah, I just say to myself over and over again, that has nothing to do with me. You can still accomplish everything and anything that you. and celebrating and sending so much love and good vibes to them is automatically attracting that sort of success to yourself. So mm. th- that's sort of the the process is it has nothing to do with me and I wish you so much success and amazingness. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I think that's one of those
0: things. It's it's common in all of us. And I know that sometimes it stops people in their tracks because they compare themselves with other businesses or, uh, you know, especially on social media. They look at it and they look how happy and how successful and, and it just keeps them stuck. And I think that's probably one of the reasons people probably don't succeed as much as um, they would like to because they just seek external rather than seek within. What are your thoughts around that?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, it really is what we choose to focus on. So, you know, one of the simplest remedies to that, everybody paying attention right now. Okay. Unfollow, unsubscribe, (laughs) like, Anybody like because here here's the tendency, and I don't know if you're like this, Catherine, but I certainly was. Where I subscribed to everybody's list, I wanted to see what everybody was doing, and I followed everybody on Instagram, and so then on my downtime, I'd be scrolling through Instagram, getting triggered nonstop. Is it their fault? No, of course not. But it's kind of like if if I'm trying to stop drinking let's not go to the bar and just be like, well, just, I'm just going to sit here. No, you don't have to make your job harder. So you can very easily go, okay, I, I know that if I'm following all of these accounts on Instagram or Facebook, or if I'm subscribing to all of these newsletters that I am making my job so much harder. So let me just unsubscribe. And it doesn't mean you can't start following later, right? It's just, okay, let me, eliminate some of the things that are making my job really hard right now and just release it with love. And because I think sometimes when we hoard all of those newsletters, it's from a place of lack and scarcity and comparison, compare and despair instead of genuine inspiration or empowerment or like really cheering one another on. And if that's the case, amazing. But if those things are massively triggered for you, go on a, go on a little elimination diet,
0: with the media Mm. i love that absolutely and i just did that not that recently um i should say not that long ago i actually unsubscribed to a lot of just because i was sick of getting all this stuff in inbox and i never read it anyway so i have been doing that slowly with a lot of my newsletters and 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 i like the way that you say release it with love yeah. That's important. So, Amy, as we wrap up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word
1: for you? Oh, gosh, two two of them popped up, but um, I think authentic would be one. Um, you, you, I, I'm not following directions. I should just stick with one. Um, authentic is. It, that's one thing that I have prided myself on from the very beginning is that it, you know, if you and I were to meet each other, you know, at a kickboxing class, I, you, it would be the same exact Amy as meeting me in a sort of this business situation. So I, to me, it's incredibly important. One of the reasons why I fell in love with the the modality of coaching was that I got to be unapologetically me. And I got to be a life coach who was obsessed with you know brain science and the subconscious mind and i could love whiskey and red lipstick and cussing like a sailor so i feel like there's room to to embody all of who we are and and that really is probably one of the most liberating things for me so i'm i'm going to go with I'm going to go with authentic. Mm, I love that. And
0: the other thing that we love to ask our women of inspiration as we wrap up is to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that
1: you would like to leave for our listeners today? Woo. Okay. So first one is sort of a mantra and it's a statement that I use that really helps me around speaking up. So it is, I am responsible for my intention, not my reception. I am responsible for my intention, not my reception. As we were talking about earlier, when you have a tough conversation or a boundary, people can receive that all over the place. Sometimes they're indifferent, apathetic, don't give a shit. Sometimes they're angry and sometimes they're, they're warmly receive it. So we can't control all of that. All we control, can control is how we're behaving, how we're showing up, how we're uh, conveying that information. So I would say start playing around with this as a mantra. I am responsible for my intention, not my reception. The second thing is I want to kind of circle back to what we talked about earlier, and I want to challenge everybody to actually take, take an inventory, take an inventory of Anything that you might complain about that you're not taking action on, that is the place for you to start speaking up, right? And that is, I don't necessarily expect you to have this flawless conversation, but I really do think just being aware of like, ooh, yeah, this is an area where I need to start speaking up, right? And then, uh, let's see, third one is yeah. Let's take it. Let's take it to the business, and let's say, let's go back to the uh, strategy and passion, and just take a quick little snapshot of your business. And am I equal parts passion and strategy? And if so, awesome. What am I doing to nurture that? And if not, where do I need to start placing a little attention? Do I need to hire somebody to help me with strategy? Do I need to spend a little bit more time uh, on a vision board, dreaming about where I want to take my business and what I'm passionate about? So really starting to look at sort of that balance between strategy and, and passion. So those are my three. Oh, I
0: love all three, and I love that little mantra that you shared. I am responsible for my intention, not my reception. I love that. Thank you so very much for those three shiny golden nuggets. So, Amy, for our listeners, where's the best place to find you?
1: So my corner of the internet is thejoyjunkie.com, and junkie is just spelled J-U-N-K-I-E, and that's sort of where you can find all freebies that I have. I, I, too have a podcast that I've been doing for about six years with my, my lovely sidekick who happens to be my husband. And, uh, the, I, I hang out mostly on Instagram as far as social media is concerned and you can find links and all of that stuff all on my website at the joyjunkie.com And yeah, I'd be honored to have anybody come hang out.
0: So we'll have all those links in the show notes and
1: I can see also you've got some free
0: eBooks, and um, also where you uh, have your little mini blogs as well. So we'll have all of that available. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of wisdom. I've got RSI in my right hand from writing, I think, about five pages of notes. So thank you so very much. It's oh, always oh. an honor and a pleasure to have you. You're awesome. Thank you. Oh,
1: You're most welcome.
0: where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano.